We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. Today we are covering our Monday mailbag, our weekly series. At least I'm going to try to make it weekly, but I tend to forget or mess up or something happened. So I'm trying, but I will be on time this time. That is, it will be a Monday mailbag for those of you that are channel members or are Patreon supporters. You guys will see it on Monday and you were able to send in questions for me to answer. If you're seeing this on Wednesday, it's because you're not a member, which is totally fine. Just saying you could get it a little bit sooner and you could ask a question if you wanted to. The links to join a channel membership or our Patreon page are in the description. So let's jump into the Monday mailbag, otherwise known as I'm in Hawaii, leave me alone. If you're seeing this on Monday, I am likely on a plane to Hawaii, um, either that or I crashed and I died. Um, if you're seeing this on Wednesday, then I'm currently in Hawaii or I'm dead in the middle of the ocean. Who knows? But I will get this video out. I promise <laughs> one way or another, you will see this. Let's get into it. So Stephen asks the first question, and I got to say Stephen or Stefan, Stefan, whatever it is, I want to make this particular question its own separate video. So I actually am not going to answer it in this mailbag. I'm going to make it a separate standalone video. So hopefully that works out for you. Don't get to ask it here. Or get, I'm get to answer it here, but I will answer it in its own separate video sometime after Hawaii though. But he did ask in terms of position matchups with our division rivals, where do you think the matchup is most and least advantageous for the Chargers? I will definitely get into that and I will not automatically pick right tackle because that seems too easy. So the first one I will get into is from Envy Talent. Envy Talent, thank you, of course, for your question. Uh, thank you for being a supporter on our YouTube memberships. I appreciate that. You're always very supportive. His question is, who do you think will have a more impactful season, Josh Palmer or Jalen Guyton? Now, I suppose that could go you know, either way. What does impactful mean to you, to me? The question being asked, me trying to answer, what does it really mean to have a more impactful season? To me, I'm just going to stick with who's the most productive and who does more with Justin Herbert this year, which again, that goes hand in hand, I suppose. So just looking back at the numbers in 2021, I wanted to break it up just so you know where each guy stands in terms of targets and receptions. They're very close. Josh Palmer, 45 targets, 33 receptions, Jalen Guyton, 46 targets, 31 receptions. So very, very close in terms of their usage last year, or at least in terms of the targets and receptions, their usage on the field is a little bit different, but I wanted to break it up and just show you who has an edge in each notable category. These are the categories that I think are the most important when looking at wide receivers 
at least in terms of what I can actually have access to. Arjun has access to far more things than I do. This is the best that I got. So yards per reception, Jalen Guyton has the edge ranked tied for 21st. Josh Palmer tied for 81st. I know some of you can already read this on the screen. You don't have to, I don't have to read this to you, but we do have a, an audio audience as well. So I'll read it for them. In terms of yards per route run, Josh Palmer actually has the lead. I, I do honestly consider yards per route run the most important stat category. Um, you know, one that I would prioritize if I'm trying to say who's the better receiver. Yards per route run is the most important to me. Um, but Josh Palmer has the edge at 82nd, Jalen Guyton 90th. This is out of about 105, if I'm not mistaken. So again, not not great. 82nd is the best of the two, but it's 82nd out of 105 or whatever it is. Yards after the catch per reception, Josh Palmer is tied for 90th. He's actually behind Keenan Allen. If that gives you any indication for how, let's say, not so great he was after the catch. Jalen Guyton tied for 23rd, so much better there. Contested catch rate, Josh Palmer is tied for 62nd. Jalen Guyton tied for 41st. Definitely would not have guessed that based on their profiles heading into the year. But Guyton did lead Palmer just a bit in that category. No surprise for this one. Drop rate. Josh Palmer uh, is well ahead of Jalen Guyton. Josh Palmer actually in the top 15. He's tied for 14th in drop rate among the 105 wide receivers. Jalen Guyton 93rd. So not great there in that department. And then passer rating when targeted. Jalen Guyton 14th. Josh Palmer tied for 31st. So, you know, each of them has their own thing that they're better at, of course. Um, significantly better for Josh Palmer in the in drop rate. But otherwise, Jalen Guyton has more of those top finishes right he has a top he has see one two three top 25 rankings four top 50 rankings and even one top 15 ranking we're talking about passer rating when targeted so you know if i had to say who had a better year i would say jalen guyton let's talk about who is going to have the more impactful year i'm going to break it up into two parts the first part is going to be the case for jalen guyton after that will be the case for josh palmer jalen guyton first why would he have the more impactful season? Well, I wanted to look at where Justin Herbert needed to improve. And to me, well, not to me, I guess to me, but this started with an article from MidPJ, who if you are on Twitter, you would know him as the analytics guy with a blobfish profile picture. I'm sure you've come across him at some point interacting about Chargers content, maybe with Arjun, maybe with me. Um, but he wrote an article and he talked about some of these stats where in known passing situations where Justin Herbert was expected to pass, he actually had a better EPA per play than the average uh, passer, uh, the NFL average. And, and he got better the more likely it was for him to be passing in expected passing situations, the better his EPA per play got. Whereas where it was more balanced on like first and second down, Justin Herbert had a lower EPA per play. And in fact, of you know second third and fourth down and, and first down second third and fourth down he was better than the average on epa per play on, on second third and fourth down but on first down particularly on first down he was actually worse than the nfl average in epa per play so when he's least expected to pass because it's first down it i'm sure it's probably close to 50 50 60 40 maybe i have no idea but when he's expected to uh, when he's not really expected to pass or you don't know because it's not a known pass situation his epa per play is lower than the nfl average so to me you got to find ways to be better with the easy stuff and that was kind of the whole point of the article herbert needs to be better when things are easy when he's not expected 
to be passing or they don't expect him to be passing. So that to me, you try to look at, you know, I tried to sort through and find different places where maybe he could improve. And the little thing that I came across was his passer rating in the intermediate game being significantly worse than the other three areas. The other three parts of the field, they're actually about even. Behind the line of scrimmage, his passer rating is 101, about 101. In the short game, so from the line of scrimmage to about 9.9 yards, his passer rating is 104.2. And 20 yards or more, his passer rating is 108. But that intermediate range, so between 10 and 19.9 yards, his passer rating is 87.7, which is not bad by any means. But if there's one spot he needs to improve, it's the one that's not in that 100 to 110 range in terms of passer rating. So again, behind line of scrimmage, 101, short game, 104, deep passing, 108, intermediate, 87.7, so about 88. And everything else is clustered. You know, he's pretty consistent in terms of passer rating. Not my favorite stat to use, but I think it does at least give us some idea of what the problem could be. Now, why was his passer rating so low? Why are there five interceptions? Was it even his fault? Was it because Jared Cook deflected a pass for the third time and it, you know, went into the defender's hands? Is it Austin Eckler's fault? Is it Keenan Allen's fault? Uh, Mike Williams, any of these drops, is it their fault? Possibly. I'm sure it contributed, but it's not like he didn't throw interceptions anywhere else. He threw five interceptions and eight touchdowns in the intermediate. He threw six interceptions in the short game, four interceptions in the deep game. So it's not like, you know, everywhere else he wasn't throwing interceptions and only here there were interceptions. No, he, he threw five here, six short, four deep, again, five in the intermediate. So my long-winded way of saying, I need to look at who is going to give Herbert more help in the intermediate if they target that person more. And as it turns out, when I just looked at the intermediate game, Jalen Guyton is much better uh, than Josh Palmer. I said modestly. I think that actually lines up better. I'd say he's modestly better than Josh Palmer. And I say that because even though the numbers do look like a good chunk better, Jalen Guyton is still behind You know, both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in these stat categories. So it is better for sure. But if Josh Palmer's yards after the catch reception is 1.3, and Guyton's is 2.6. I think Mike Williams is like four or five or whatever. So even though Guyton's number there is double that of Palmer's, the better wide receivers are double that as well. So modestly better, but still in all categories except for drop rate. So in reception percentage, yards after the catch per reception, yards per route run, yards per reception, passer rating when targeted, and contested catch rate, Jalen Guyton has the edge in all of those categories except for drop rate where josh palmer of course has zero drops in the intermediate range Jalen guidance drop rate is 20 percent, and even in here in the intermediate range so josh palmer on the you know the previous or a couple slides ago he overall leads Jalen guidance in yards per route run but in this particular category in the intermediate range Jalen guidance does lead him um, josh palmer's number is 6.33 Jalen guidance is 10.5 i don't have a ranking compared to the rest of the nfl but just comparing those two Jalen Guyton's, you know, a full four point, you know, two ish yards better in yards per route run. Uh, so that's that's pretty good. So I think Jalen Guyton, if we're looking for somewhere where Herbert can take a step forward, and if he feeds targets to the right receiver, in this case being Jalen Guyton, I think that's very impactful on the season. That could be considered most impactful. And then just overall, Jalen Guyton is the wide receiver three. I didn't think he'd be the wide receiver three. I think you know at some point in camp last year. Um, it was possible, but Tyron Johnson was pretty clearly, you know, the most 
explosive wide receiver that they had in camp. That didn't work out. They drafted Josh Palmer. You know, he again, Tyron Johnson was there. Josh Palmer was there. Jason Moore, KJ Hill. All these guys were there. And Jalen Guyton still held on to be the wide receiver three. And he did improve. So I just want to say that. Like I was, I didn't think he'd be the wide receiver three. Certainly not after the 2020 season where he was kind of a deep threat with awful hands. But, you know, he really built upon his game to be much better, as we showed in the intermediate game. And I think that's going to be huge for him. So he is the wide receiver three right now. Even though Josh Palmer may beat him out, Jalen Guyton is the wide receiver three. And there's three reasons for that. One, the snap counts just say so. Josh Palmer's passing reps snap count per game with Allen and Williams healthy, uh, about 14 per game, about 14 passing down snaps per game with those two healthy. Jalen Guyton, same situation with both Allen and Williams healthy, 27 reps per game. So almost double that of Josh Palmer. Now, can Palmer take on a bigger role this year? Sure. But just based on where the snap counts lie and just where they you know, show you who the wide receiver three is, Guyton has an edge in, over Palmer by almost double. Reason number two, Guyton is, as we know, the only speed threat. Josh Palmer isn't slow by any means, but he does run a 4-5-1. Guyton, as we've seen, is a bit faster with a 4-3-9. We know that. That's the role. The yards for reception shows that he's more of a deep threat. The speed indicates that he's more of a deep threat. He just complements the offense more. Now, if they want to switch to Josh Palmer, so they're more of a slower possession you know, kind of offense, which is definitely possible this year, considering they didn't add speed, they added Gerald Everett, they added Isaiah Spiller. It's possible they actually want to be more ball control this year. We'll see. But still, for now, based on what they did last year, Jalen Guyton is that speed threat. He's more dynamic in that particular regard and that makes him more unique than josh palmer who could be a better wide receiver but he's not different enough from mike williams and keenan on if that makes sense and then reason number three guyton he, he did deserve to be wide receiver three heading into this season you know la the year prior don't think so but heading into this year based on the way he finished the year i do think he deserves to at least on the depth chart be considered wide receiver three and he is the first 11 games of the year, only 199 yards, zero touchdowns. Not great, right? Not really involved. You know, occasionally one deep shot here or there, or at least one attempt. Nah, not so much. Then there was a point where Herbert really started to click, and we saw that I believe it started against the Cincinnati Bengals. Coincidentally, Jalen Guyton had an interview with us. We have this famous thing called the GAC bump where if you interview with us, somehow you have a career game or season or whatever, right? Steven Anderson, Donald Parham, they all interviewed with us, had a great year. We're not going to talk about Larry Roundtree. <laughs> Maybe the GAC pump couldn't do that much. Um, but still, you know, Guyton finished after our interview, the last final five games of the year, 249 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, 60-ish percent of his production and all of his touchdowns came the final five games of the year. Again, first 11 games, didn't even crack 200 yards, no touchdowns. Just the last five games, he only played 16, almost 250 yards and three touchdowns. Huge. So the way he finished the year, right, you remember that big jump ball pass against the, um, or the reception, excuse me, against the Bengals over Jesse Bates or the bomb against the Giants. Right, those plays stick out. You saw Herbert go, man. I could, I really could uncork it to Jalen Guyton, who he's just 
seems to start to trust a little bit more. There was a point in the year, and I it might still hold true until you get to week 18, but I believe Jalen Guyton had more fourth down targets than Mike Williams did. Like Guyton was a go-to guy for Herbert, and it really started to show at the end of the year. So I think that momentum going forward, Guyton could take a legit leap forward this year, and he deserves to be wide receiver three. All right, let's pivot to Josh Palmer. Why would Josh Palmer have the more impactful year? Right now, before I get into that, let me know what you think. Is it Josh Palmer? Is it Jalen Guyton? Who's going to have the more impactful season? Here is my case for Josh Palmer. The obvious one is that his ceiling snap count is higher. Now, his floor, as we already showed, is lower, I think, it's, you know, for all the reasons we talked about. But his snap ceiling is higher because if Keenan Allen gets hurt, you're putting Josh Palmer in as your wide receiver, too. If Mike Williams gets hurt, you're inserting Josh Palmer as your wide receiver too. Palmer is instantly the wide receiver two if one of the starters goes down. Jalen Guyton will always be the wide receiver three if one of those guys goes down. Now, of course, if both go down, sure, Jalen Guyton is the wide receiver two or whatever. But if one of those guys goes down, Guyton's role is not going to change. Josh Palmer is going to be the biggest recipient of a big boost. And I think that because of that, he could have the more impactful season. Also, like Guyton, when they targeted more towards this, you know the last half of the season, the last maybe third of the season, Palmer really rewarded the coaches and Herbert's faith in him. He had three games, basically towards the last quarter of the year, with 30 or more passing down snaps. Only three games the entire year with 30 or more, I believe one with 37 and then two over 40 or whatever it was. But in those three games, the only three games of the year where he had 30 or more passing down snaps, week 14, week 16, week, eight, week 18, his stat lines were five catches, 66 yards, touchdown, five catches, 43 yards, touchdown, four catches, 45 yards, touchdown. You gave him more reps. You gave him more opportunities and he scored a touchdown and averaged, you know, four catches or so, 50 yards or so and a touchdown in each one of those games. You give me more reps, you give me more opportunities, I will reward you. It even shows in clutch plays, right? Week eight against New England, it didn't change the outcome of the game, but they didn't target Palmer the entire game, if I'm not mistaken, or at least he didn't have a reception. Then they just, Herbert throws it up to De Palmer in the end zone, comes down with a great catch, right? Very clutch catch. It didn't change the game, but that was very clutch. And then of course, who does he go to? to you know, score that touchdown to eventually end up tying the game against the Raiders in Week 18, Josh Palmer, a play that they had not, you know, he said himself, they had not run, I believe, since training camp. And Palmer goes out there and catches one of the most clutch touchdowns of the season, one of the most clutch touchdowns I've ever seen from the Chargers. Again, unfortunately, didn't change the outcome of the game, but it was so clutch. So Palmer, you give him more reps, more opportunities. He scored a touchdown all three of those games. You throw me some, you know, intense jump ball situations, or if we're in some intense situations, give me the football. I will catch that football against the Patriots. I will score that touchdown against the Raiders. That's huge. So I think because of the relationship with Herbert, because of, you know, the way that he's rewarded the Chargers, both the staff, obviously the GM for picking him and Herbert for throwing to him, the way he rewards those people. I think there's a shot that Palmer actually has the more impactful season, especially because he has the highest ceiling in terms of snap counts. That said, 
I do think that Jalen Guyton does have the more impactful season. I'm not going to bet. I, I do think Mike Williams and, and Keenan Allen, I do think they're going to miss one, two, maybe three games, you know, here and there. Each of them I I kind of expect to miss at least one game, particularly Williams. Um, but I don't anticipate them missing like the entire year. And I'm not going to bet on, you know, them missing the entire year. So Palmer has the entire year. Guyton, you know, maybe not quite the ceiling that Palmer has, but he definitely has the safer floor right now as the defined wide receiver three, as a unique presence, technically as a statistically better presence. So if I'm going to pick anyone, it is Jalen Guyton to have the more impactful season, but it's close. Let me know what you guys think. All right. Next question comes to us from Reggie. Reggie is a big fan of the show. Uh, I know him. He actually works with my fiance. Reggie's a physical therapist. I don't know how much he wants me to share, but I know he's really good at his job. So Reggie, thank you for joining up, of course, in our YouTube memberships. I know you're an avid listener. Thank you very much. Let's get to your question because it was a lot of fun. Can you project the 2022 Chargers based on or compared to Brandon Staley's 2020 Rams defense? Now, we did this a bit last year, right? We're trying to figure out, okay, we're going from Gus Bradley to Brandon Staley, two different schemes, two different personalities. You know, one of them actually blitzes. One of them does not. What's you know what's, what are we expecting here? And we'll talk about that in a bit. But now we're trying to project the 2022 defense based on the 2020 defense for the Rams. And I think we can do that. Yeah, I think it'll be closer this year than it was last year because now Brandon Staley has, I think, the guys that he wants. More DBs, you know, Khalil Mack, obviously, Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, more his guys. So I think that... We can do this again, even though we could just look at last year. I think this defense this year could and probably will better resemble the team that they had in 2020 with the Rams. So there's three changes. I, I tried to do a lot of research for you here, Reggie. I tried to find different ways to look at this. Some of them I've already talked about before. Some of it's kind of new. And I found three potential changes. You know, what can you expect that's a little bit different? You know, what should increase? Uh, decrease whatever and then there's a, a, a portion of this later where actually we'll talk about things that won't change that i don't expect to change that might answer some questions for you as well but the one i've talked about before is lighter boxes I, I've, I've pointed out this graphic and another graphic you know comparing 2020 rams 2021 chargers um, before so i just wanted to put it in a little table form for you guys and for you listening for you guys that are listening long story short is the Rams, the percent of snaps that they played with four linebackers was about 43% in 2020. We know Brandon Staley wants to play in a, with lighter boxes. We know that. That said, 2021 Chargers with all the injuries and I would say a, a good linebacker group on paper, certainly with Kaiser White, the Chargers were forced to play almost 72% of their snaps on defense with four linebackers. So there's almost a 30% difference there. 2020 Rams, 43%. 2021 Chargers, about 72%. That's a big difference. And I think that if we're looking at what they're going to do in 2022, based on 2020, I think the Chargers are going to see that number drop significantly, maybe not all the way to 43%, because I, I do think that the Rams secondary in 2020 was more proven overall than the Chargers. And certainly they were together more. Uh, but still, I think the Chargers, that number, the percent of snaps with four linebackers will drop significantly. How much? I don't know. But that's one change I would expect. 
Another one that is kind of a maybe, I'm just going to bring it up because I found it and might as well discuss it, um, the coverage scheme differences. Now, there's only two notable ones. For the most part, the Chargers and the Rams in, in each year were very similar for the most part, except for two coverages. Uh, the Rams ran, or the Chargers actually in 2021, ran about two and a half times as much cover one as the 2020 Rams. Whereas on the flip side, the 2020 Rams ran about twice as much cover four as the 2021 Chargers. Now, does that mean that, that the Chargers are going to play less cover one and more cover four this year because of new DBs? Not really, um, but it's something I wanted to point out because those are the two notable differences. Everything else is pretty much in line except for those two. Again, so the Chargers, if they're like the 2020 Rams, they will play less cover one than they did last year and more cover four. But again, we don't know that for sure. It could be, it's so tough because we only have one year of Brandon Staley with the Rams and one year of Brandon Staley with the Chargers. So I really don't know what his tendencies really are. But I think after this year, we'll have a really good idea. Uh, after that, I think this is, I want to say it's guaranteed. I guess nothing is really guaranteed. But they should have an upgraded pass rush rotation. So if you're watching this on YouTube, in the red box, I have, or in any of these boxes, the two boxes that I have here, I have the player that is going to be replaced from 2021. And the corresponding arrow of the same color, color, excuse me, is where the dot would be of the person that is replacing them. So in the upper left quadrant, so we're talking about pass rush win rate and pressure rate. In the upper left quadrant, Kyler Fackerel is there, which is not bad, but you want to be in the upper right quadrant which is exactly where Kyle Van Noy was this past season. Kyle Van Noy was in the upper right quadrant, not exactly, you know, way up and way to the right, but still in the proper quadrant where you want to see, you know, the most productive, the best pass rushers. And that's great. So they're going to get a better edge three out of Kyle Van Noy, at least on paper and based on kind of what we know from the production and from this graph. And then in blue, so we don't know Morgan Fox is going to be the starter, but let's assume that he is. Morgan Fox, I guess even if he is a part of a rotation, will be an upgrade over Jerry Tillery as a pass rusher. As a run defender, I'm sure as well, but definitely as a pass rusher. Jerry Tillery is down at the bottom left quadrant, which is where you don't want to be. That's where the worst players are in terms of production. And Morgan Fox is upper right, that top right quadrant. So both their additions are shifted to where they're in the upper right quadrant. So there should be a better pass rush rotation with Morgan Fox and with Kyle Van Noy. And then just looking at where some guys are like Chris Rumpf, he is way down here and not so great on the pressure rate, win rate graph. It's kind of ugly actually. But you know he will take a step forward. He should get better. Hopefully he can shift to you know one of these two right quadrants here. But we'll see. Uh, what won't change, I actually think is really interesting. I want to talk about blitz packages and forced pressure. I found four different things where the Chargers are pretty consistent, at least last year, with the 2020 Rams. So I don't think this will change all that much in 2022. The first thing is the number of DB blitzes that they're going to send. Now, one team had 16 games, one had 17, but still pretty darn close. The top five DBs in terms of pass rush reps 
in 2020 with the Rams, that total number of blitzes was 55 for all individuals. Not like not like two guys on one play, but each individual rep, they all add up to 55 blitzes from a DB. 2021 Chargers is 50. So 55 versus 50, you know, it's it's basically the same. Granted, again, 17 games versus 16, but I just don't expect to be this big difference. I know everyone maybe expects that, you know, we have, we have Callahan, we have a healthy, you know, Derwin James, Sante Samuel Jr. We have JT Woods, just here, Taylor, Mark Webb. You know, maybe they'll set in more pressure, but probably not. And the blitz rate isn't all that different. 2020 Rams, 27.3%. 2021 Chargers, 25.1%. The Chargers this past year actually ranked higher in terms of blitz rate than the Rams did in 2020, even though their percent, their blitz rate itself is actually lower, but they're both middle of the pack. And if you're looking you know, on the screen or you're listening, the Rams at 27.3%, the Chargers at 25.1%, you know, what's kind of the range of, of outcomes you could expect? The, the higher end blitz rate number is about 40, 45% usually. And the lower end where Gus Bradley would be is like 10 to 15%. So the Chargers and the Rams were both middle of the pack in, in each of those years. And I expect that to kind of continue. The Chargers would be just, you know, middle of the pack. Maybe they can sneak towards the top 10. But for the most part, they're not going to be like the number one or number two, you know, blitz heavy team. But they're also not going to be a conservative team either. And then stunt rate. Thank you, Arjun, for this. The 2020 Rams, their stunt rate was 27.6. The Chargers last year was 26. Now for this one, I don't know where each team ranks. So maybe the Char the Rams were first in the league last that year. Maybe the Chargers were dead last in the league last year. I don't know. But still, just looking at the raw number, a difference of 1.6% isn't really going to move the needle a whole lot. You know, maybe in one game it shows up more, but otherwise I expect the stun rate to be about the same. So compared to the 2020 Rams, the Chargers really shouldn't be all that different in the number of DB blitzes they send, in their blitz rate, and in their stunt rate. And then finally, I looked at the number of rushers that they would send, um, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. And it's a, it's about the, fit, the same, if not identical in many categories. You know, the number of uh, two rushers, three rushers, basically the same. The number of uh, the frequency at which they sent four rushers, that's the highest frequency of any other combination. The Rams in 2020 sent four rushers about 455 times the chargers in 2021 about 435 times now again like i said 16 games versus 17 i just i really don't see a whole big change here there's no like giant gap between these two the number of uh, times they sent five rushers were nearly identical on the charts so yeah i don't expect a whole lot of changes there uh reggie if there's another thing you wanted me to bring up let me know i can answer it in a different video i don't know how you wanted me to answer this question but i hope I found some interesting things that maybe you weren't expecting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay. Next one from Khalid. Do you think Fahoko has a chance to beat out someone on the roster and avoid being cut? Love his energy and he's a great player. Brandon Fahoko is a guy that I didn't expect to like as much as I, I do, but he really has kind of earned the love and respect of the fan base because he, against Houston in particular, special teams, run defense, he brought the energy. He played well. Limited snaps for sure, but he was out there getting, I think, four run stops and another two special teams tackles or a couple knockdowns or whatever it was blocking for a kickoff return. Like he really endeared himself to the fan base. I'm really rooting for him this year, but considering their additions, I don't know if he has a, a, a real strong chance of making the roster, but if he does make the roster, there's two reasons. And then one person to obviously beat up his, obvious route to the roster i think we all know this at this point it's stopping the run his run stop rate was fantastic his run stop rate was so good now granted this is for defenders with 65 or more run defense snaps because that's how many he had his run defense run stop rate was not just first among interior defensive linemen but first among linebackers corners safeties Defensive ends, edge rushers, you know, it, it was the best number in the NFL at that minimum snap threshold. Not only that, I believe it was the number one run stop rate over the last three years. I think with that same snap threshold, I mean, it was pretty impressive. Was he on the field a lot? No. But when he was on the field, and even when he showed up on special teams, he was a presence. You saw the first play of the Steelers game. You saw it during the Texans game. You saw them hold up against the Bengals on that goal line stand. You know, Fahoko was very involved in run defense, and he's so much better in terms of run stop rate and even on film than other guys that he's fighting for with the, for a roster spot. So, you know, the two safe guys for sure are Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson. Like, that's a for sure those two are staying, and those two are your best run defenders after Fahoko, and I guess arguably over Fahogo because they actually play more snaps. But in terms of run-stop rate, Sebastian Joseph Day was second, Austin Johnson 18th. So those two are your early down, for sure, starting run-stoppers, no problem. And Fahoko won't be on the field you know, in front of those two guys, maybe as a rotation, but not in front of those guys. Where things change is when you get to the rest of the roster. Otito Ogbonia on film, not great against the run in my opinion statistically one of the worst interior defense alignment in this past class not saying he can't be good against the run but to me he's a much much better pass rusher than he is a true run stopper uh, you look at guys that they brought in morgan fox this past year 114th in run stop rate christian covington 116th jerry tillery 121st it's not even like fox is all that better than tillery at least this past season or that covington's all that much better than tillery they're all clustered morgan fox 114th christian covington 116th Jerry Tillery, 121st. Brandon Falco, first. Like, he is significantly better against the run. Granted, smaller sample size for sure, but I feel like he wouldn't be 114th like Morgan Fox, 116, 121st. I think he would still hold a very solid run stop rate as a starter. He'll never get there, uh, at least not this year, barring injury, but I think he would hold up a lot better. The other route to the roster, 
which you know is tied into him being a run stopper, is his a gap presence. If you look at the percent of snaps that each of the guys that he's competing with had in the a gap, Gaziano zero percent of his snaps, Christian Covington six and a half percent, Morgan Fox with the Rams in twenty twenty two point two four percent, Jerry Tillery two percent, Braden Fajoko forty two and a half percent. So again, Gaziano zero, Covington six and a half, Fox two point two four, Tillery two point oh. Fahoko 42.5%. He lives and dies and breathes and whatever in the A-gap. And I think that does make him very unique. I'm not saying like Jalen Guyton, but nobody else is really doing that that's fighting with him for a roster spot. Now, Ogbonia did do that in college. I believe it was maybe 30% or whatever it was. Um, but I don't expect him to be that nose tackle type for the charge. I think he's going to be more your future Jerry Tilly kind of replacement, maybe your three-tech. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. I, I just don't I don't see Ogbonia as much of a run defender. He doesn't really show up on film. It definitely didn't show up on the stat sheet. And frankly, he looks like a better pass rusher. So Fahoko, as a run defender, is both more, you know, as it is a it's just better at defending the run in terms of run stop rate, and he's just more used to playing as that A gap presence. So that's it's a real big bonus for him. But the guy he has to beat out is Christian Covington. That is where this all comes down to everybody else is safe. It's 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 coming down to Fajoko, Covington, Gaziano, Merrill. And if we're being really honest, it's really just down to Fajoko and Covington. And it's obvious where Fajoko has the edge and where he doesn't. That said, Fajoko has a much more significant edge in his strength than, than Covington in his strength because Covington's not great as a pass rusher either. He's just a little better than Fajoko. Fahoko's run stop rate compared to Covington. Fahoko's is 16.1. Covington's is 5.1. So Fahoko is more than three times better or more efficient at stopping the run or getting a run stop than Christian Covington. With that, Fahoko missed zero tackles. So not only is he you know, a better run defender on a per snap basis, he missed zero tackles. That's huge. Now, he didn't make 100 tackles. So maybe after you know a full-time gig, I'm sure he would miss one or something or two. But still, just that good of a run stop rate to go with no missed tackles is huge. And against the run, his average depth of tackle is almost a yard better than Christian Covington's. Fajoko is making tackles within 2.7 yards of the line of scrimmage on average. Christian Covington, 3.6. So Fajoko, his tackles averaged a run stop every single time he made a tackle in terms of average depth of target. That's huge. The difference is, obviously, Fahoko is not much of a pass rusher, and I think that he knows that, and I think that's just his calling card. We know that he is a stout run defender. Unfortunately, there's no pass rush upside, but that kind of works for him. You know, word through the grapevine is that Fahoko is specifically working on stopping the run because he just knows that's his bread and butter. That is what he's good at. That's what he's uniquely better at than basically everyone else on the roster he's fighting with for a roster spot. And even though Christian Covington does have an edge in pass rush productivity and pass rush win rate, the numbers are 1.5 and 3.3. Those are not good numbers. Like those are very bad numbers. Now, Fahoko is zero in both of those categories, um, but it, it's, it's a small difference. Covington is not very good. Fahoko is not very good at, at rushing the passer. Fahoko, at least, you can see on film and statistically, that against the run, he is a far superior player. Granted, didn't have as many reps, 
But of course, that also works in sort of his favor for pass rush because Covington got 108 true pass set pass rush reps. Fahoko only 19. So it's kind of like an unknown. But still, Fahoko, you know, again, a better run stopper. I think we know that. A, a more true A gap presence than Covington. Just better against the run. And uniquely so, because again, like even just the snap counts, Gaziano's not going to do that. Fox isn't going to do that. Tillery's not going to do that. You know, maybe Covington. And, and again, it, it could very well be Covington winning. But Fahoko is uniquely a better run stopper in the A gap in particular. And that will buy him a roster spot potentially. Let me know what you guys think. Do you think Brandon Fahoko wins a roster spot? I certainly hope so. Nothing against Christian Covington. I just think, you know, if Ogboni is a better pass rusher and Fox is a better pass rusher and Tillery is a better pass rusher, you got to have somebody who can stop the run. Granted, you do have that with Johnson and Joseph Day, but you got to add another body. You know, I want Fahoko to take that Greg Gaines kind of route where he just develops and develops and develops into a legit part of the rotation. The last question, guys, comes to us from the Coors Cowboy who asks, is McKitty destined to be the next Virgil Green with the right tackle situation? I, I think it all comes down to what their role ends up being for McKitty. Um, but like you're, I think you're specifically asking because they're going with Pipkins or Norton, is, is McKitty going to have to be that inline tight end? And I think if in particular, if it's Pipkins, this is the only slide I have for this, if it's Pipkins, I do think McKitty is going to be more stuck at that inline tight end without being that H-back. And I, I really think McKitty is, at this point, the inline tight end with Horvath more that fullback H-back type because they drafted him. And I think that's Kevin Coger's plans for him. Um, but let's get into specifically why I think if Pipkins is starting, McKitty will definitely be more of an inline tight end. So McKitty, his blocking snaps on a per-game basis, on average through the 11 games that he played, was 16. So about 16 blocking snaps per game. Now, his, his per-game average after Parham got hurt, which is four games of that 11, went to 20. So really not a huge change. Went from 16 blocking snaps a game to 20. The difference is the two games in that four where McKitty was blocking while Trey Pipkins was starting. So Pipkin starts in week 15 and 17. And even though McKitty's per game average in the four games after Parham was hurt, and I'm including the KC game there, even though his per game average in those four games was 20 blocking snaps, in the two games Pipkins was starting, he logged 32 blocking snaps against Kansas City and 25 against the Broncos. So you know, of the 80 snaps that he had in the four games as a blocker, you know, 57 of them, almost 60 of them, came in the two games that part of that uh, that Pipkins was starting. So I think that if Pipkins is your starter, and really possibly if Norton is your starter, I think you're going to see McKitty be more that inline tight end rather than the H back that we maybe hoped he would be. All right, that is it for the Monday mailbag. I am in Hawaii. Hopefully, I did not die. I uh, cannot wait to get your questions a week after this uh we're not going to do a mailbag this coming monday because if i did any kind of work in hawaii my fiance would uh close off my snorkel and kill me um so we're not going to do that and i am going to leave it to two weeks from now so i will see you guys in a couple of weeks for the monday mailbag thank you for submitting your questions as always take care and bolt up
Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.